All right, everybody, shalom, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show. And we are broadcasting live from Judea and from the 12th day uh, of this conflict, of this war. What is this war about? You probably ask. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you haven't, uh, maybe you've been living in a cave for the last uh, 12 days. But if you need a little reminder, here's what the war is about. Right, so that's a great overview of uh, what transpired. But let's talk a little bit about the crime itself. Uh, the crime um, is massive, and people have gone out of their way to explain what really transpired and what, what we dealt with, which is uh, the numbers are still coming in. We're still dealing with how many murdered in one day. Is it 1,200? Is it 1,500? Is it 200 captives? Uh, a massive onslaught and attack, a breakthrough through the fence in Gaza, between Gaza and Israel, uh, and uh, a, a murder of women and children. Let's listen to um, let's listen to former minister Ayelet Shaked. Ayelet Shaked, the chairman of the Friends of Schneider Hospitals, the biggest hospital in Israel for children. People ask me if there are many injured children in the hospital from the massacre on Shabbat. So the answer is no. They didn't wound children. They just slaughtered them and burned them and made sure that they were dead before they left them. So now we have either dead children and babies or children and babies in the hands of the Hamas. The world needs to know about those atrocities. Hamas is ISIS. Okay, so that was Ayala Chaked, former minister uh, here in Israel. And she's basically laying out to you what the crimes were and how we should think about it that, that one of the slogans that's going on is uh, Hamas is ISIS. Um, is it just Hamas or is it a societal thing? Is jihadism inside of so-called Palestinian society? Uh, I claim that it is. Uh, and here's Ezri Tubi making, I think, a fair explanation um, of what Palestinian society has been training itself to believe uh, for so long um, in, in the education that we see. And we saw it also in an UNRWA. There was an UNRWA uh, a, a video about what Palestinian children believe in UNRWA schools. And it's all like Jews are the devil and Jews must be killed. They can't wait to fight Jews. Here's Ezri Tubi on his take on what's happening in Palestinian society. Let's talk about the civilians in Gaza. Are they to be considered innocent? 
An innocent civilian is a regular person who cares for his family and tries to do good in the world, and there's no reason why they should get hurt. But a mother of a terrorist who encouraged and educated her son to kill innocent civilians and expresses how proud she is after he did so. Is she innocent? Well, of course she didn't perpetrate the act itself. Her son did, but it was she who sent him to do so. Anyone who refers to that mother as an innocent civilian has a deep moral problem. How about the family of a terrorist? Those who express how proud they are of their brother who murdered innocent children in their beds. Are they an innocent family? How about the society? The people that handed out sweets after innocent families were wiped out by their friends. The culture that glorifies terrorists, names streets after them, call newborns in their names, pay monthly salaries to the terrorist's family, and so much more. Is that society to be considered innocent? Over a thousand Jews in 24 hours were violently slaughtered. Not one voice, not one, no commentator, no religious leader, no organization coming out of Gaza condemning these horrific actions. Could this kind of society, these kind of people, be considered innocent civilians? Anyone who thinks so is actively responsible for the killing of real innocent civilians and has a very big moral problem. Um, okay, so on the one hand, we've got the crime and we've got the assessment that this crime was not just an organizational crime, but a societal crime. And Ezri Tubi is making the case that if you support Hamas, uh, you have a moral problem. And Ayel Chaket is saying to us, uh, uh, um, Hamas is ISIS. They're not a liberation movement. They're a jihadist movement. And so whenever they talk about liberation, what they mean is that they want to liberate. That means they just want to destroy Israel. Uh, they don't want to liberate something for the Palestinians. They don't want equality or, 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 or self-determination. They want to get rid of Israel because of jihadist, religious, uh, fundamentalist principles. Uh, and anybody who sides with them is, is morally problematic. Well, here are some Jews uh, in Washington, D.C., or ostensibly Jews anyway. I mean to say I don't know if they're Jews or not. And here they are. Um, here they are protesting and asking for an immediate ceasefire. Let's see them. Uh, so these guys are out there uh, um, calling for an immediate ceasefire, and they were they went into Washington D.C. into the Capitol building, and I think in, actually into the uh, some of the congressional and some of the Senate buildings, and really shut it down with their with their loud uh, claim that 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 a Israel doesn't stand for them, and b that uh, they want an immediate ceasefire. I.e., they're really saying that they uh, stand with the other side and want Israel to stop its aggression in other words they they're really siding with the uh with the with the jihad uh, i call those guys useful idiots right i call those guys useful idiots the classic uh, term that lenin used for folks who backed him and he who, who didn't understand that soon he would turn against them totally here's another view of that same group <laughs>
Yesterday, I was on guard duty. Last night, I was on guard duty uh, here in Goshetzion, in Judea. And it was I had a guard duty from 12 to 3. It ended up being 12 to 3.30 at least. Uh, so I was up there, out there in in the real in the real area, making sure the Jews uh, are safe. And uh, here's uh, here was my take on guard duty and thinking about the situations that we're facing in Israel. Uh, here's the way I saw it last night um, out there, protecting Jewish people in the middle of the night. Hey, I'm on guard duty tonight uh, from uh, 12 to 3 a.m. I'm making sure that this uh, nascent Jewish community, this hilltop, is safe. Uh, from uh, folks coming in and trying to murder the people here. That's because we have uh, jihadis all around us. And uh, one of the things that I've been seeing recently, which I think is just um, such a mistake, uh, is the discussion specifically about Hamas. We've got to wipe out Hamas. Yeah, Hamas is one of them. Uh, but it's not the only one, right? There's there's the PLO and the and all the other organizations, Islamic Jihad, it's not just organizations. you got to understand, it's not organizations. There's a society today that backs these folks. And I'm going to say something that's not popular. Palestine is not a liberation movement and not something that wants self-determination. It is the enemy of Israel. It wants to erase Israel. It is, it is a way to say, we want to erase Israel, replace it, replace it with Palestine. It is... It is the cover of jihadism. And if you go into Arab stores in uh, the old city of Jerusalem and Hebron and other places, they will sell you a keychain or a mug or whatever that has the map of Israel and the word Palestine over it. So what's the goal there? Yes, the goal is to erase Israel and to replace it with Palestine. And so we've got to erase those cups and those mugs and those keychains. We can't have that. We can't have jihadism in our land, which is a call to destroy us. Uh, we can't have schools, newspapers, radio stations, mosques teaching jihadism in our land. That can't stand here anymore. That can't. That won't stand. So we have to be real, uh, and we have to also have a common sense. We can't allow them to arm themselves and to prepare for war against us. It lulls us to sleep, and that's what happened with this great intelligence failure. So let's be real about what we're facing. Uh, that doesn't mean that every Arab is a jihadist, but it means it's not a few. And we got to be real uh, that we can't let this this uh, sickness, this Nazism, uh, rise up in our land. We've got to hold on to the rage that we're feeling right now, uh, because this rage is a cleansing rage. It's not a personal you know, rage that wants to kill other people. It's one that says, no, 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 we're going to defend it at all costs, and never again, never again let what happened on October 7th happen again to the Jewish people and the Jewish state. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. Our very own intrepid reporter, Ben Bresky, has a very interesting segment for us about the history of the phrase, Am Yisrael Chai, the nation of Israel lives and lives forever. Uh, when was that used? Where does that come from? Ben Bresky reports. Here we go. This is a moment in Jewish history. As I walk the streets of Jerusalem, I see homemade signs with the phrase Am Yisrael Chai, 
the nation of Israel lives. It was spoken recently by Israeli singer Noah Kirel after she sang Hatikva, Israel's national anthem, at a recent basketball game in New York. <laughs> But what is the history of this well-known slogan which has grown recently in public consciousness? It goes back to Gora Meir, the Holocaust, and before. Rabbi Leslie Hardman, a British army chaplain, spoke the phrase when he visited the inmates of the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp five days after its liberation from the Nazis. The following is from a recording by BBC war correspondent Richard Dimbleby from April 1945 of Jewish Survivors with Rabbi Hardman. The children of Israel still liveth. The phrase has its roots in the Bible from Genesis chapter 45 verse 3 in which Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? In 1965, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach turned it into a song. Jacob Birnbaum, founder of the student struggle for Soviet Jewry, wrote this about the origins. After initiating the grassroots movement for Soviet Jewry, I strove to generate songs. I was determined to get one from Shlomo Karlbach. We knew each other, and our grandfathers had become acquainted in 1897 at the First Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland. Shlomo was constantly on the move and hard to pin down. His mother, Rebetzin Paula Karlbach, was most helpful in forwarding my requests for a song, Am Yisrael Chai. The request began to resonate with him when he flew to Soviet-dominated Czechoslovakia. Later, he told me he had washed my letter typed on student struggle stationery down the airplane toilet with some trepidation. He first sang the song to a group of Prague youngsters. I did not know about this at the time, but had continued to press Rebetzin Karlbach that he should have something ready for our great Jericho March of Sunday, April 4, 1965. Late on Friday afternoon, April 2nd, my phone rang and Shlomo's exhausted voice said, Yankala, I've got it for you. Jericho's Sunday dawned bright and sunny. We encircled the Soviet United Nations mission on East 67th Street in New York, Jericho style, to the trumpeting of seven shofars blown seven times, and marched to the UN. Shlomo was inspired and for the first time publicly sang what was to become a contemporary Jewish liberation anthem. Even Irving Spiegel, the usually kvetchy New York Times correspondent, basked in the pervasive, joyful spirit of the moment. Shlomo had added another phrase, Ode Avinu Chai, with which he climaxed the song on a high note of exultation. He took this from the biblical Yosef's exclamation about his father Yaakov. After the liberation of the old city of Jerusalem in 1967, he went to the Western Wall and sang the new song of liberation, but now in reverse order. Now he began with a triumphant Od Avinu Chai with Am Yisrael Chai in second place. (laughs) 
In his article, Jacob Birnbaum also mentions that the phrase was heard years before, when Gora Meir visited Russia in 1948. Indeed, when Gora Meir, future Prime Minister of Israel, was ambassador to the Soviet Union, she visited the Great Synagogue of Moscow, in which hundreds of Jewish worshippers attended. The following is from Yael Namir, daughter of Israeli diplomat Mordechai Namir, part of the Israeli delegation. On Saturday, all of us went to the synagogue. Naturally, we attracted great attention and there was much excitement. Most of us wept, not to mention them, men and women who sobbed excitedly. So began the Sabbath services. Then the men were called to the Torah and of course there was a deep silence. At the end of the prayers, the rabbi wanted to meet Goda, and this is where the emotions burst. Father, who went to get her, barely passed through the crowd because all amassed wanted to shake his hand, and there is no need to say that it was difficult to move when he returned with Goda. It was indescribable when every man and woman shook our hands, greeted us with thousands of blessings, called Mazel Tov, and each of them recited Shechachianu. The tears and sobs burst out of everyone's eyes and throats. Meanwhile, Goda barely reached the rabbi, and now the emotion extended beyond all limits. All applauded her and us, and cries of Am Yisrael Chai, let the people of Israel live, erupted from all mouths. This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners. And Shalom. All right, Ben, thank you very much. And indeed, Ben, I'm Israel Chai. Thank you very much. There's so much to think about here because there's also, not only is there local issues about jihadism, not only is there questions about Israeli intelligence, there's also geopolitical issues. The Americans are involved. The Iranians are certainly involved. The Russians may be peripherally involved. There's many theaters of operation. There's minimally, there's Gaza and Lebanon and Judea and Samaria and the cities of Israel, uh, the mixed cities, and we have Iran over there. So we have many fronts. And if I wanted to understand what's going on in this war, there's really one person that I would turn to, and that would be uh, Professor Dr. Mordechai Kedar, uh, who's um, um, one of the few people in this world that really has a handle on Arab society. He is uh, He served for 25 years in IDF military intelligence, specializing in Syria, Arab political discourse, Arab mass media, Islamic groups. He's an expert on Muslim Brotherhood and Islamic groups, Islamist groups, and also uh, was uh, is a professor emeritus uh, from Bar Ilan University for many years. Dr. Mordechai Kedar uh, joins me today. Dr. Kedar, shalom and welcome. It is nice to see you, uh, but on the other hand, if I'm seeing you today, that means that it's after one of the most uh, devastating attacks that Israel has seen in its history. And I haven't gotten a chance to speak to you yet, so this is my first opportunity to do so. So let's start from the beginning, you know, amazing operation by, by Hamas, two years in the planning, and Israel somehow missed it. How does that happen? <laughs> Good question. It will be really investigated, and that's what I hope. After all, I spent 25 years in the intelligence, and... Um, the, the the alert which the intelligence should have been given, should have given to the state is embedded in the DNA of the intelligence. This is what the intelligence is for. What else, if not for the warning and the, to ring the bell 
and, 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 and yet the intelligence missed uh, the whole thing and it will be uh, investigated. Um, as for now, I can already say, and this is more than clear, then that uh, Israel was living in some kind of conception that Hamas people, leaders, organization are deterred and they are contained. Means contained means that they live in Gaza, everybody knows the borders, they honor the borders, the borders are very uh, strong borders. We have the fence and we have other things like uh, organs of systems which could uh, detect any anyone who touches the, the, the fence and, and many, many, many more things related to high technology, which gives us good uh, defense from anything which might come out from Gaza. This was the pre-assumption, this was the, the uh, conception which for years led the people here. As a result, we understand or we understood the Hamas want development, good health, education, um, construction or reconstruction of the places in Gaza which were destroyed in the former uh, rounds. And in order to enable them to run the economy, Israel gave them 20,000 permits per day to come to work in Israel. It also helped the Israeli construction industry and so forth. So it was like um, mutual uh, good for both sides. Israel needed their working hands and they needed the money. So Israel allowed them. And this is this was the the mindset about Hamas and and uh, Gaza until Shmini uh, Atzeret morning, until October 7th morning. Um, there were all kinds of information about the growing uh, strength of the Quat al they call it in Arabic, the, actually the army of Hamas. Uh, we knew that they are developing new missiles because once in a while they were checking them by launching them to the sea, the West, not to Israel. But yet we knew about the, all these experiments. Um, and I believe that the intelligence knew about all kinds of of um, developments which they have in in in, uh, in Gaza. Yet, since the conception was saying that they actually want development, good health, and 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 stable life, all the information were put into uh, this framework, which explained everything in a way or another as long as it does not disrupt the theory. And then came uh, October 7th morning and everything just collapsed. And retroactively, we know that they were, were actually deceiving us to think that they are uh, deterred and... Uh, and, uh, and, and, that, and that they're interested in governance. Governance as opposed to as opposed to as opposed to fighting, they want to just yeah, govern. Yeah, yeah. all these things. Tell me, make... tell me, just in parentheses, just a short answer here. 
how similar is this to to the Yom Kippur War? Like like how the same things you're Almost saying. One to me. Right. Conception, a uh, 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 boy who cried wolf trick, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the deterring them, deterring the, the intelligence by by coming up to the to the fence over and over again. It's like the same thing. It's unbelievable. Now, it's unbelievable. This conception, yeah, this conception actually was the result of another, I would say, uh, kind of thought about Hamas. I heard like five years ago. A meeting with one of the high officers in the intelligence in the Agafa uh, Mechkar, the analysis uh, department of the intelligence in Tel Aviv. And he started saying, when we talked about Hamas, he said, well, Hamas is a rational player, Sakan Rational. When I heard this, I almost jumped out of my skin. I and I started to, you know, to yell at him. So, what's the what's wrong with this saying? I said, look, if you think about the logic behind the saying that Hamas are a rational player, it actually means that we have our rationale which wants all kinds of, you know, prosperity, good health, good life, you know, whatever we are looking for. And this is our uh, um, realistic uh, achievement. And since, uh, since Hamas, as you say, a reasonable player, they actually want the same thing. Right. Like a Western, good life, shop at Zara, right. and have latte coffee. And, 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 I, and I told him, this is the source of all evil in the assessment of the intelligence. When you start analyzing your enemy according to your culture, according to your uh, reasonab- reasonability, according to your reason, actually, according to your set of values, and scale of priorities and culture in general, while he is a Muslim Arab who has totally different religion, totally different scale of priorities, totally different set of values which he believes in, totally different way of conduct, the chance that you can a forecast what he will do is actually zero right because you think like western uh, society uh, like israel is modern liberal um secular in most cases but but but, but dr kedar isn't that something that you learn in intelligence school isn't that something to like think like a whoever it is in this case think like an arab isn't that like isn't that like Aleph bit of how you, how you I, conceive of like intelligence? Like, of course, <laughs> of course. Look, when I, all right, Doctor Kid, I, I need I need to to use the time uh, to get okay. the, the the stuff. So this is out. actually the, the I would say the cornerstone of the own conception that they think like us. They want like this exactly the same things, and this is where we fail. 
Okay. However, I, I re- I, go ahead. Go ahead. And, and here comes the big however. Mm-hmm. I like half a year ago in on March or April, I published an, an article about how the next war will look like. And I assumed, I give this assumption, that the next war will be, uh, of course, run by Iran, means will be concentrated by Iran, and it will include Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, and Gaza Strip. All these countries have uh, Iran proxies. Iran will arrange a mass attack on Israel from all these five directions, causing tremendous damage to Israel already in the first hour with missiles, with drones, with um, a land incursion, with whatever can be in order to bring Israel to its demise. Um, until the world wakes up to see what happened, Israel will be finished. Until the world starts ending. This was the satanic Iranian plan. All these players should have waited patiently. I mean, they could, uh, of course, uh, acquire weapons, ammunition, um, train themselves, do whatever needed in order to be ready for the moment when Iran will tell them, go. And this is what I published. And uh, I think that it actually became the scenario which the everything in this country was talking about. This will be the next war. Um, and Hamas uh, will not to open a, a war with us without the Iranian permission. However, that's what they did. They actually started a war of the, by themselves without even consulting with the Iranians, not about the, the, the operation, but about the timing of the operation. The timing was October 7th, was chosen by Hamas against the Iranian will. And that's Why what you're hearing. That's you're hearing that through through signal, through 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 chat. No, through... analysis, analysis of all kinds of bits of information. Mm-hmm. Now, why did Hamas time this assault on Israel to October seventh? The kibbutzim, the moshavim, the army bases in the perimeter of of uh, uh, Gaza were the same. What what pushed them? to launch this attack on October 7th, rather than waiting for the Iranian order. It would be even better for them to wait, because then Israel is is devastated. Israel cannot retaliate. Israel cannot function. Israel is caught in surprise. And the results from the Gaza point of view, of the Hamas point of view, would be much better, because Israel has been attacked on all the directions. What pushed them to carry out this assault against the Iranian 
order of the Iranian will, of course, Hezbollah also, against Hezbollah will on October 7th morning. And the answer is the music festival, which was near Gaza. This is something which was not a week earlier, was not two weeks or three weeks when Rosh Hashanah was. This was the night and the morning of this festival. They, first of all, this is not the first festival. It, it is like either the sixth or the seventh in a row. In a row means every year they know already what is happening there. They hear it from Gaza. They hear it. And for them, it, it makes them very angry because this Western music, when everybody in Gaza knows that these are boys and girls who are dancing together, are drunk with alcohol, could also be, you know, getting some high. And, uh, and the music which they are dancing goes to every home in Gaza and they hate it. They hate because it's Western music with Western characteristics. They timed the attack to the morning of this festival. The festival started in the evening of Friday and was supposed to, to go all the way to afternoon of uh, Shabbat. Means like 20 hours. In the morning, the people are already tired. Everybody sees them. They cannot run away without being seen. Uh, it's not the night. And they might be also drunk and maybe high, very easy uh, prey to, to catch them, to capture them, and to either bring them to Gaza or use them as human shields when they will have the whole line of defense inside Israel. This is what they planned, that this, this was the plan. And this is actually what made this, uh, what we call the, 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 the natural, natural uh, festival. The festival in the, in the well, nature. nature festival. Yeah, nature festival. Yeah. Nature festival. Uh, as it was, and this is actually what timed mm -hmm. the assault or the, mm -hmm. the whole night. Yishai, the Iranians are very angry. At least wow. In the in the first day, because Hamas actually broke the plan. Because now they have one less very important player in this scheme, right. which they planned. And, and, and the element of surprise is gone now. Never surprise is gone. Now Israel is much more aware of its vulnerabilities along the borders. Right. And Israel will fix all kinds of things. Israel will strengthen the, the, the power on the borders, especially vis-a-vis -vis Lebanon, means Hezbollah. Now Israel will be much more alert and much more uh, aware of this possibility because uh, 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 Hezbollah planned the same thing. So what you're saying, what you're saying then is that while this was a horrific, horrific event, a horrific attack, it may have actually saved Israel uh, in that in that a combined attack uh, was not what happened, and yeah. rather and the element of surprise was ruined. Now Israel is in a uh, posture of uh, at least awareness 
uh, still defensive, uh, but um, but is but is not going to be surprised anymore if an attack comes from anywhere like Yemen or other places. Now, now we woke up to understand the the situation, mm. and you know, like since this uh, started, like almost two week, two weeks ago, I got some twenty or thirty uh, emails or phone calls or WhatsApp messages. Hey, you you talked about this. It was like half a year ago. So, and, and this is actually what, what is happening. In the first days, the Iranians and the, and the Hezbollah did not interfere at all mm-hmm. because they somehow said with words or without words to the Hamas people, hey guys, you betrayed us by You're starting you're on your own right. to deal with the Israelis. Good yeah. luck. Don't call us. We'll not call you. Right. But on the other hand, but on the other hand, you know, it was a successful operation. Israel is embarrassed. Uh, this is no, 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 no. Don't be mistaken. Mm-hmm. The plan was to end or to come to the end of the operation only after Hamas have already built a line inside Israel which will include uh, the, the kibbutzim and the moshavim. The border, the Gaza are, border communities. Right. Inside these fortifications, uh-huh. they uh, were supposed to actually occupy part of Israel mm-hmm. uh, in, in that area in order to have a better negotiation point vis-a-vis Israel to negotiate the releasing of their prisoners mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. Because if if I'm if I read them correctly, they will try to have a swap agreement with us, which will include concessions in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which that Israel withdraws from East Jerusalem and declares that it doesn't belong to Israel anymore. So the Waqf can take it, or the Islamic movement, or the other friends of. Uh, of uh, uh, Hamas. So this could be very easily uh, one of their demands. And not because I say it here, because this is how uh, how they think. Okay, so how do you so, how do you see it now moving forward, this this conflict? Okay, uh, this, uh, this uh, sentiment of you are on your own, uh, I think uh, was for like three days or four days into the war. Uh, and little by little, uh, Iran and Hezbollah understood they, that they have to embrace the Palestinians. Otherwise, the whole thing will go in vain. And uh, this, this is why uh, uh, this is actually the situation. And uh, now they are helping Hamas, not because they love this war so much, mm-hmm. because they understood that if Hamas is being defeated decisively, uh, the next will be Hezbollah, and the next so, will be the militias in in Syria. Is Hezbollah going to enter this war fully? They have these reportedly 150,000, 200,000 accurate and serious rockets that could penetrate Israeli airspace, could could uh, strike at Israeli infrastructure and uh, and um, places like the Knesset, etc. You know, th- this is a, a nightmare scenario. Before I even go on, I just want to say, ask you, like, 
how how is it that Israel has allowed the her enemies to arm themselves so seriously against it? Isn't that isn't that isn't that violence in itself? When when you arm yourself, when you prepare to destroy another country, isn't that something that you should stop? Isn't that isn't that isn't that Israel's responsibility to have a never again scenario? We we just lost that whole never again thing in Gaza. Don't we have a never again scenario where we're we're not supposed to allow people to arm themselves against us like this? And now that they are. Uh, these guys are going to enter the war. Uh, are they going to shoot these 200,000 rockets? Are we going to that level? And then thirdly, I need to ask you about this. What's with the Americans? Why, why are they here? Why are they here? And are they are they on the right side uh, of this conflict? Well, uh, listening to Biden and to Blinken, Biden had two speeches, one last week, and the other one was last yesterday. I think that I I was surprised to what emotional level this these speeches aim. I think that if you take the speeches as, the, as they are, without the background noise, the war and other things, I think that Israel could not expect a better, a better uh, talking about Israel. This was tremendous, this was big. However, and here comes the big hub. In Western societies, Western culture, the more you give up to your neighbor, the less he honors you. No, in in Eastern, in in in, uh, in Middle Eastern, you're saying Middle Eastern. Right, not in right, and in, in the Middle Eastern, right. The more you give, the more you t- say you're willing to uh, concede or come to compromise. The more the your 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 colleague says understands you to be weak, spineless, contemptible, uh, not right. respectable. Right, because if you don't respect yourself, your interests, so nobody else will do it for you. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is actually uh, what is happening here. And um, now we have to see, because apparently Hezbollah, uh, uh, and when we talk now on Thursday night, um, the 18th of, of October, as it is now, Hezbollah has not yet started the war from its side. All they do so far is to send the Palestinians in Lebanon with weapons, with a car, with whatever, or, or explosive built, Mm-hmm. In order to to kill as many Israelis as they possible, why so, are they waiting? Who? Why is Hezbollah waiting? Why are they not going into the war big? Are they going to wait because, this war out? Now, because of the American uh-huh. uh, fleet, which came, they didn't expect. Because if the the plan was as planned, means to attack Israel in in, in one moment from five directions, five um, uh, militias, five, uh, um, you know, whatever, uh, they would uh, be much more successful. But these are the yeah. Americans, this this side of the American political aisle. Here, for example, here's a, here's a, a listener right now, Teresa McAvoy, who writes, I'm an American. I do not trust Biden. We know that, that, that Biden is a two-state solutionist. We know that he's going to want us. He, he's already mentioned a few times in his speeches, Palestinian self-determination, et cetera. Yeah. Like, like, Look, okay, so he's, 
let me tell you, in my humble view, it's not only Biden who came, also the Prime Minister of Britain came, and there are more to come. They are uh, shaking and shivering out of fear. Why? They are afraid that if Israel actually does the right thing and gets rid of Hamas altogether, this will send Hamas sympathizers in these countries, and there are many of them, to the streets to demonstrate, to uh, attack uh, police stations, to loot all kinds of things. You know, they will lose their, I don't know, the priorities, they, they lose everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is actually what the situation is now. And uh, it all depends on, I think, the decision of his body. If they decide to start launching against us part of their missiles, which are in in uh, uh, in, in the border near, near near the border, so this is actually the situation now. People are waiting here in Israel. And they really don't know what will happen with Hezbollah if they enter the, the, the war. So far, I think that they did it on a very low scale in order not to escalate the situation. Yet, there is a limit to what they, how, the, the limit to what they can tolerate Israeli land, land, land operation in Gaza. Shouldn't, and, shouldn't Israel be the escalator? Shouldn't we use this opportunity to wipe out those missiles? Shouldn't we use this excuse, this, under, this understanding that Iran has armed our enemies against us and they're serious? Shouldn't we use this opportunity to, to take care of those 200,000 rockets now, et cetera, yeah, and, right. and, and, fight, and fight the jihad in general, which has taken over our land? And, and, and take another thing in account that you, don't, you want to finish problems with Iran on Iran's proxies now before Iran becomes nuclear. You do not want to mess with Iran and its uh, proxies in a situation when Ira- when uh, Iran is full of uh, nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons. Yes. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that maybe now is almost the last chance to deal with Iran, which is the source of all evil in this region, before it becomes impossible. Because of the nuclear weapon, which they might have. And what what could be what could be what what excuse could Israel want more than this than this heinous attack? This is it. This is the this is the opportunity. <laughs> Doctor Kedar, are, are we are the we world, Israel, the world Israel? understands that sometimes uh, wars are defensive wars, and even if you start a war, which makes you you know on on the losing side, if you start a war, you are the, you are the problem. Yet. If this is the war which you can prove that this was against terrorism, which might long, which will come eventually at some point, you are able to do it. Dr. Mordechai Kedar, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Eli Chemelowitsky, I guess, says, absolutely, Israel should make an end to these missiles. Don't trust anybody else to do it. There's an opportunity here, uh, and I hope that they uh, hear your analysis and uh, hope that Israel could get a healing through this. Uh, stop coddling the jihadists, see them for what they are, respect them for what they are.
Right. Take them seriously uh, and therefore yeah. take them out. Dr. Kedar, yeah. thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much. Good night. God bless you. Thank you very much. There is nobody in this world like Dr. Mordechai Kedar. He is an amazing advocate for Israel uh, and an amazing uh, analyst of Arab affairs. Uh, he's done an amazing job also at places like Al Jazeera. Uh, and so uh, that was great analysis. And thank you very much. Very interesting what he said about that, that this was actually a... Um, a war that uh, that Iran wanted to delay. I, I, that is an interesting that is an interesting um, piece of information. Um, let's see what else we have. Let's let's check take a look at what else we have. We have a lot of fo folks that that care very much about Israel that are that are speaking out. Um, the fronts that we're dealing with is Gaza and Lebanon. But Dr. Kidd, I talked about other fronts. Here's what was going on in Hebron, in Hebron, where I work every single day. Take a look what was going on there after they heard that there was this hospital bombing. At the time, this was the perfect blood libel. It was like, and Rashida Tlaib put it out, 500 Arabs were killed by, by Israeli missiles. It turns out like 50 were killed by by, by Islamic Jihad missile. Uh, but here's, uh, uh, here's what was happening in Hebron in response to that. <laughs> So uh, there's rioting in Hebron, and the question is, the real question is, will this spread broader to the Arab world in general, or will it not? And so, so if you listen to a lot of the things that, were, that, that I just asked right now, the questions are, um, you know, defensive. Will the Arabs do this? Will the Arabs do that? Will they attack or they will not attack? Where's Israel's King David? Where's our strike? Where's our fist? Where is our stopping the jihadism and the Nazism, whatever it is, before uh, it, it strikes? Where's where's that attitude? And so I'm a little bit tired of uh, feeling like I'm waiting around for the Arabs to dictate when they attack and if they attack, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more Israeli strength. Israeli strength comes through strong Israeli identity. A person with a strong Israeli and Jewish identity is none other than Malka Fleischer. Malka, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. If I can have you a little bit louder, I appreciate that. Can you hear uh, me? Yeah, I hear it. That's better. Good, okay, good. Great. Okay. Maka, you said something to me which blew my mind. You really did. You said to me. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I want to hear you just a tad louder if possible. Can okay. you give me like a one, two, three? One, two, three. Do you hear me? Yeah, good. Uh, you told me that it could be that this whole period of waiting, uh, of our of our soldiers waiting, is actually waiting to attack Gaza is actually a time for people to get stronger religiously. You called it a Kiruv moment, a Kiruv camp. I want to show you some of the videos that I've seen uh, of this kind of Kiruv that's happening uh, out there in the field. <laughs> So these are video. This is a video of of, a, of a, one of the chief rabbis 
Oh, who, uh, I'm not sure which rabbi he is. Uh, but in any case, he's out there praying with the soldiers. Here's another video. Okay, so there's a lot of energy out there, and right. people are coming closer to Judaism at this moment, and and they are getting kind of filled with with a with a with a with a holiness and, and an energy and an identity, uh, and that's a very strong thing that you point out to me. They're really kind of hmm, girding themselves. Well, I think uh, with- that I think that you know you had this horrific incident that occurred to our people. It enraged the nation. Then you took people out of their homes. You brought them together from all over Israel. You put them into units down in the south. You throw rockets at them. Jews are Jews are coming together. They're talking about things that are meaningful. They're they're full of righteous indignation. Then on top of everything, you have this like beautiful nation back home, and they're not just back home, but they're like pouring into the field all the time. They're coming with their sandwiches, and they're coming with their musical performances, and they're coming with huge boxes of tzitzit, and they're coming with with uh you know their their food trucks and they're they're doing everything possible they're sending like boxes and boxes of candies or protein bars socks underwear uh, toothbrushes everything that they possibly can raising money raising money uh, prayer chains everything that you can think of so so the energy of all this the passion of it and the just like sheer goodness of it is something that is like sweeping people up in the best possible way. And I, I I don't think it's just happening out on the field, but I definitely do think it's happening out on the field. I think that out in the field where people realize, you know, they've left their homes, they've left their businesses, they've left every human comfort almost to come down and defend their people. And they're starting to realize, you know, what the what this whole thing is about um, and what the like, the deeper meaning of being a Jew is. What am I defending? What am I out here to fight for? Who am I out here to fight for? Who am I even that I'm out here fighting for this? Um, and I think that it's just, uh, it's it's a very special moment. Um, you know, we can't be, um, we can't be naive. Like this is a war and this is very real. And we're, we're wanting every single soldier and every single person to come home safely Um you know, we want to accomplish our goals. We want to accomplish the mission, but we care about every person that they should be safe and healthy. Um, but at the same time, you have to recognize that this is like this is something bigger than most Jews have ever experienced um, that's going on, something nationally bigger than than mm-hmm. any of us have ever felt. You know, you do you know, Malka, do you know, Malka, that that, that uh, some 30 Jews made Aliyah today, came to Israel yeah. to, to move to Israel and came that's during this good. war. They're going to remember that forever. For Absolutely. Speak, speaking of remembering forever, here's one of my favorite yeah. videos uh, of this war so far. I played it uh, uh, like two shows ago, but it's just the 30, it's 27 seconds. It's Let's just ultra Orthodox folks making barbecue for the soldiers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything's great, Baruch Hashem. Okay, 
Okay, so those are Israeli soldiers being fed by right, the ultra-Orthodox the, Jews. Right, and the, they asked the ultra-Orthodox Jews, like, why are you out here? And they're like, like, ahavat chinam, like, like love without borders, right? Like just uh, just showing love. We're here to just show love. Um, and that sense is very powerful out here. Tell, tell me about your experiences today out there. Well, um, you know, we have to just say that that our daughter um, had her birthday today. Um, you know, there's a whole country full of Jewish kids who have been having birthdays. You Probably a lot of people have seen videos of like weddings and, and all like people are trying to live. Right. So um, our daughter had a birthday. And on the one hand, like, of course, um, we're so happy and we celebrate a birthday. On the other hand, you know, our nation's in like a very serious, very serious situation and you can't um, and full of distress turn away. Right. You can't turn away from that. No, uh, you know, there was a there's a war that's occurring now, but all the losses that we've already faced that like the numbers are just like unthinkable and that there are there are people who are still in Gaza. Anyway, you all understand what we're talking about. What was your experience today? So today we decided to do a little bit of everything. Um, we wanted to celebrate our daughter's birthday and we felt that it's right for a child to celebrate their birthday or for anyone really to celebrate their birthday, frankly, especially now to be glad to be alive. It's, it's something to be very grateful for. Um, so, you know, we had a, a party with friends out on our porch and some hot dogs and some, some fire um, just to ease the atmosphere for, for the, the little group of friends who are really facing uh, some tough days these days. Um, but then in the morning we got up and Isha, it was really your initiative. You decided that we were going to sponsor some meals um, for soldiers as a little bit of a way of doing, uh, of giving back on this special day and not just being selfish about our, our, uh, our Simcha. Right. And well, we it's not, to, it's not just a day to just have a, just have a, just have a party. It's a day to, right. to see that, that people need you and that, and that our daughter will remember right. that, that on her day, she didn't, she didn't just get, she gave. Right. She and that's a very powerful the community, thing. Uh, the community of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And so we went, we uh, went to a local restaurant um, and ordered 20 meals, sandwiches in good bread, good meat with, French fries, onion rings, the whole deal, drinks. Um, and then there was a position in uh, Gush Etzion that we decided to visit. At first, we thought there were no You mean, you mean a, a little army? Uh, an a little army, army outpost. Right. Um, and at first, I didn't think there was anyone there and that we were going to have to eat 20 sandwiches. But then um, but then you didn't let it go. And you you discovered that, in fact, there were soldiers inside. They came out. They took the sandwiches. They were very happy to get like a real meaty meal, you know, the, uh, the soldiers, they get fed, but it's something called manot krav, which is like basically all canned foods and canned right foods, preserved, preserved foods. foods and like very, very basic stuff. So we, we gave them a good meal and, you know, frankly, it inspired me too. And I realized that, um, that I want to take care of these soldiers a little bit more. So today's Thursday night. I took four, I think four, maybe three, no, four are chickens out of my freezer. And I hope with God's help to make them tomorrow, maybe with some rice, buy some challahs and uh, send you back to that same um, army outpost to deliver it for Shabbat. Mm -hmm. 
That's great stuff, Malka. And people can definitely help uh, be part of that, just feeding soldiers and and, and giving them uh, clothes and things that, that, that they need. A lot of organizations are doing it. Uh, the Jewish community of Hebron uh, has a way for you to, to touch the, the soldiers and also the civilian defenders that are there by just feeding them. Non-military stuff, certainly, uh, but there's a way to uh, help them by, by just giving young Jewish folks uh, the food that they need, the nourishment to stand on guard. Uh, same thing you will find at yishaifleischer.com. Uh, you can find that we have a project called Fight for Israel, uh, which is also found at fightforisrael.org. Uh, and so Chevron Fund, IshaiFleischer.com, FightForIsrael.org, easy enough. Uh, and also my good friend, I got to gotta, uh, uh, do a plug for my good friend, Ben Goldstein, who uh, helps civilian defenders get the gear that they need. And that's at UnityWarriors.com. So many good folks are doing great things. It's like, it's like amazing how many good folks are doing good things. But what I find also is that you don't even have to go big. You can go little. Like today right. we bought 20 meals. We're soldiers, and it was just awesome for them, and they were just so happy. Twenty good right. meals. It made their day, and maybe that makes a difference, right? And that's that's kind of the point right now is you just make your difference where you can, um, and that's realize right. that you have a lot of power, but you don't have to have all the power to yourself. Together as a, as a people, we have all the power that we need. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, Malcolm. Maybe one more video to show you. Uh, check out check out this video of American Jews in Brooklyn uh, getting. Uh, getting stuff over uh, to Israel and, and get boxing it and getting it over to Israel. Hey guys, check this out. Avenue P, there's dozens and dozens of homes like this all around the world, maybe hundreds of homes like this. Am Israel, all enlisted. Everybody wants to do something, so check this out. It's a bunch of goods coming from Amazon, thousands of boxes. Uh, first aid kits, hydration, ropes, uh, let's see what else we got here, band-aids, band-aids, gauze rolls, check this out, this is somebody's house, it's been like this for the last three days, white out, the uh, stuff for the head, lights, gloves, knee pads, Money caps, all box, all Amazon stuff. All right, so you get the you get the feeling, Malka. Folks are just giving what they Absolutely. can. And Robert Pepe says, "Spent time in Hebron over the summer. Amazing place, and I give to the Hebron Fund whenever possible." Uh, and uh, Cecilina uh, Garza, Cecilia. not Gaza, huh? Cecilia. 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 She's not breaking my heart. She's making me feel good because she's standing with Israel and blessings, she says. Uh, but Yemen, this there's a guy here. He jumps in. He says, Yemen alakayal. He says, Israel, baby killer. Okay. And so he's got he's got bad things to say about Israel. He's wanna, he's siding with the jihadis out there. Uh, and Ellie also says, happy birthday to your daughter. Wow, thank, thank you, you very thank much. You very much. Thank you very much. Maka, speaking of our happy daughter. Happy birthday our daughter, to all the daughters. I really that's want right. us all to, to go back. Of course, we all want... Go back is not the right word because I, I don't want to say that. Actually, I take it back because we can't go back, um, and we shouldn't go back. We should go forward. We should go forward into a day where all the Jewish daughters are having a happy birthday, um, and where everybody is healthy and safe and free to uh, make celebrations in in health and security. 
Well, also, I want to thank that daughter of ours, who's a lab, Batsion. She is uh, producing today's program. So I really want to thank her very much. She's done a great job and she's helped me get the guests and doing all the stuff. So it's really a lot of fun. Uh, and a lot of folks are part of it. If you want to be part of it, there are many ways, like I spoke about before. There are other ways as well. Uh, if you want to be part of the show, uh, an easy way to do that is buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. And uh, we have. I just want to say, Yishai, I want to go back to that video that you played. You like hustled past it, that the video with the Amazon packages. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that over the last few days, really since the very beginning, but I just want to say it out loud that we see you, diaspora Jews. You know, this is something that, um, you know, it's easy to feel like we're going through it by ourselves here in Israel, like we're definitely being targeted, right? So in that sense, we're, we're the ones dealing with this. But just the such an outpouring of love and support, and you can feel that people in, in, the diaspora and and my contacts are especially in the United States, right? So they're they're just they're doing everything they can, um, and the feeling is so powerful that that the desire your your desire to help. I've heard from more people that I haven't heard from in five, six, seven, eight years in the last week than I've heard for so long. Just so many people reaching out and. I know that um, that out there, it feels like, you know, they're always like, what can we do? What can we do to help? What can we do? And, um, you know, Isha, you gave a lot of good links. Those are definitely ways to help. Prayer. And there's prayer, so many others. There's prayer. so many others. Yeah. Yeah. Prayer, prayer, and more prayer. Um, That's right. Being prayer, to each other, being nice That's to each right. other. I really think that this issue of unity is like, is clutch right now. We have to keep going in that vein. Um, supporting each other, being there for each other, and realizing that where who is the enemy and who is not the enemy. Right, right. Um, and, but that, but, but, uh, but, but so it's got that side, which is what you're talking about, the side of like unity and love, and I would call it just generally tshuva, repentance, coming close to God. And then there's the other side. You got, we got to push Israel to destroy its enemies, to have zero right. tolerance for jihadism. Right. This is not about enough. becoming fluffy. Right, no fluffy. This is not no about fluff. like a lot of guitar playing. This is about like understanding who we are, who we're not, where we want to get to, and how we're going to get there. Malcolm Fleischer, uh, check it out. Uh, Sonia from your home state of Texas says, prayer and blessings from Texas. Israel strong. You, That's right. That's right. Amen. And my man, Moshe Herman, who is very much a producer of the show, says that is so amazing. He loved those boxes, those Amazon boxes. Uh, and really, it is a beautiful thing. I'm Israel Chai. Uh, so, yeah, we see you. I like that very much, Malka. We see you. We see you, uh, the Asper Jews. We see you, Haredi Jews. We see you, IDF. Uh, we also see you, the Jihad, for who you are. I like that. We see you. I like that. I like that a lot, Malka. Um, I want to thank Malka. Uh, I want to thank Moshe Herman, Yochevet Seidman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lou, and we're live like now uh, for helping us make sure that we're doing it right and pushing it out there. Uh, and I want to thank all of you out there. Please write me an email, Yishai, YishaiFleischer.com. Malka, thank you for joining me. I want yeah, to bless you for you a Shabbat that. Shalom. This is the Shabbat of the deluge, of the flood. Yeah, there Noach. was a lot of evil, and I had to get washed out. Right, and it says, literally says, in this week's Parsha, ha'aretz Hamas. Hamas filled the land. It means, in that case, just wanton violence. Uh, and that's what Hamas is. And the only antidote is, later on in the Torah, it says, ha'aretz otam, the land was filled with them, that is the Jewish people. 
There's two options. Either the world is filled with the land of Israel is filled with Hamas and then the world is dark, or the land of Israel is filled with the Jewish people and the Jewish children and the world will turn towards light. Amaka Fleischer, thank you very much for joining me and Shabbat Shalom to you. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom to you folks out there. May we have a peaceful Shabbat, a peace that comes through strength and victory. And may we see the erasure of Hamas and jihadism, Hamas no longer. And instead, it'll say, the land will be filled with them, the children of Israel, not the, and not the darkness of Hamas. I want to thank you so much and send you lots of blessings from the land of blessings. Thank you, Hashem, uh, even for this hard time. And we have so many hard things to overcome. There's still so many funerals, and there's so many people that have to come back uh, from the captivity uh, of being abducted. Uh, by the Hamas, we have so much, so much pain to still uh, process and trauma to still process, and yet we thank Hashem at the same time for for the goodness. And as you heard, Mordechai Kedar, it could very well be that that sneak attack may have even saved Israel in the end. God bless you. Here's Evo says Shabbat Shalom, and Scott Riley says Shabbat Shalom. He writes in Hebrew, and and um, and Yanis uh, gives me the Greek flag with the Israeli flag, and also some some uh, cloves. And uh, folks from all over the world are uh, part of the great blessing of the Jewish people. We shall overcome Bizrat Hashem. It's Hashem's dream. It's God's dream. And he's not going uh, to let it go down. It's going up and up, even through this hard time. Through this hard time, we shall grow. We shall get stronger. Tammy says Shabbat Shalom. Ellie says Shabbat Shalom. And I say to you, Shabbat Shalom. God bless you. May Israel be strong and then see peace as well. Shalom.